0: Cool. All right. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Podcast. I'm your host John Harris, and today on the Rock and Roll Podcast we have Pat Riley. He's got a new album called Path to Transcendence, which released earlier this year. Right now, I'm being joined by Pat himself, and we're going to chat about this record. We're going to chat about a few things uh, with regard to what's going on, Pat.
1: What's up? What's going on? Uh, so remember, it was actually released 2020.
0: That's yeah. right. It, you know what's funny? I I have written down January third, twenty twenty, and oddly enough, maybe I don't know what year it is anymore. Pat,
1: uh, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I try to forget about time anyway.
0: <laughs> that be a really good. That's a good path of transcendence. You just forget about time because time is it even real, Pat?
1: Uh, honestly, I think time is just a, a way that we measure interactions with the world around us. Um, you know, we all get older, and we wish we didn't. So if you Focus on time too much, it's gonna probably just add to your stress. <laughs> so hell, time is not real in my world, man.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Just an emotional construct. That's why there's good times, bad times, stressful absolutely. times.
1: Oh, there's so many types of times,
0: man. <laughs> so
1: many types of times. Mm-hmm. Drunk times, high times, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> high times. It's a magazine too. There you go.
0: hmm Exactly. A successful one even at that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. Yeah. So released last year. Now, the the interesting thing is that um, we're actually recording this interview a second time. There's a, a mishap. So I've still got my notes, uh, you know, from the last time that we chatted. There's so many cool things that I remember chatting about with you, Pat. Um, for example, that the Kickstarter part of it.
1: Right. The Kickstarter part of it. I don't even remember what gave me the idea to do that. I think I was just like seeing, oh, other bands are doing it, you know even if it's not successful like, like there's nothing to lose i have nothing to lose by trying so i did try and uh, i like to always put in a, a good amount of effort and work you know i have some editing video editing skills i got some decent camera gear microphones and not that i made a crazy video but i try to be as professional as possible and uh, it ended up being a great success way beyond what i had
0: imagined it would be was it uh, was it easier to come across as professional than you thought
1: not really. Um, I, got, I think I have some, a good amount of life experience and, and even just working jobs to, to, to know what it is to present yourself as a professional and not somebody that's just kind of like, you know, hacking it behind the scenes and trying to skate, skate by with the bare minimum. So it, it, it wasn't tough. It came natural to me, I think.
0: Cool. Yeah, I didn't see anything unprofessional in the Kickstarter when I, when I went to the website and uh, you definitely were able to get quite a bit of coin in, which I'm sure helped a lot.
1: It helped a lot. Um, I it wasn't enough to fully fund everything I did, but it was definitely enough to probably at least fund about seventy five percent of it. So uh, obviously, you know that's always a big help. Music, music is not cheap. Recording is not cheap. Uh, having to put in practice time and all that stuff. You know, if you're not working, like you know, you got to have money to, to recuperate those times that you're not working.
0: very true, <clears throat> very true. And I mean, seventy five percent, that ain't bad.
1: No, man, it was, again, it was, it was, it was a surprise. And it was, uh, I ended up getting more than I had wanted. I think I, I think I, my pledged goal was 5,000. I think I ended up getting like 70. I, I, I might be totally wrong. Like I get t- time is, is just an illusion to me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I think it was 5,000 that I wanted and I ended up getting like a little more than like 65 or 7,000. Either that or, or it was way lower, and I'm forgetting the number. But either way, I got more than I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> either way, <clears throat> I think that's uh, <clears throat> you know, taking a, I don't know, a risk. Would you consider it a risk? Taking a risk uh, paid off?
1: Uh, it's a minor risk. Yeah, I don't have to pay anything if I don't get it. Um, maybe it's a little embarrassing, I guess, if you don't if you try <laughs> to put yourself out there for money and then realize uh, nobody cares enough to give you anything. Yeah. But I did a lot of footwork, uh, let's say digital footwork. I messaged a lot. Everyone that I knew that I have ever interacted with on tour, anyone that I knew as friends, any any people that had shown interest in the music at all in my playing, I, I just reached out to them directly, wrote them personalized messages, and said, hey, I'm doing this thing and anything will help. Like, um, yeah, I had no shame in doing it because I wanted it to be successful. And again, I wasn't just trying to be lazy and and hack it behind the scenes. I wanted to fully pursue what I was trying to do. And I think if I didn't do that, forget it, it would have not worked out at
0: all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When it's 115 backers, that's actually not that much. It doesn't take that many backers. I mean, it's a lot of backers. I'm not trying to say that, you know, like, you know, small time or whatever, but I mean, for the amount of money that you made, I would, for some reason in my mind, think, you know, most people are willing to chip in a dollar. So you've got to have, I don't know, a couple thousand backers, but only 115. I mean, that's incredible. Those guys gave a lot of money.
1: Yeah, there was there was a couple of uh, rewards that I had. One of them was a guitar, which was I, I forget what the, what the pledge required was. I think it was fifteen hundred or two grand for that alone. Mm-hmm. It was a high end guitar. Somebody bought it. <laughs> Somebody wanted it. Wow. So uh, that was great. And then there was some some good t shirt CD bundles and uh, you know sh- what everyone's doing. You know, social media shout outs, all those things. And some people um a lot of people that were friends or even acquaintances or friends of friends they pledged with no reward. so there was a lot of that going on people that were just giving for the sake of giving you know like and i do the same thing when i see people people doing stuff and if i believe in anything they're doing like i have a problem just throwing some money and i don't care about the reward i just want to support because music is unfortunately heavily based on fan support or just artist support in general mm-hmm. so i think that's a big deal man
0: yeah Did that change anything for you when you were working on the record, knowing that there was so much support?
1: Uh, What it really did was pressure me to finish in a timely manner, because I had uh, estimated that the release, that everyone would get their stuff by December, Mm -hmm. or that it would be done by then. So in the back of my mind, while I was recording and doing everything, I, I... and I'm like this with everything. I like to be on time. When I'm when I say I'm going to be somewhere, I want to be there. If I say I'm going to do something, I want to do it by the date that I said I'm going to do it. So that was constantly on my mind, and it helped. I like I like being on on a timeline, on a on a on a, a
0: goal budget. You know. Yeah. Well, you showed up for this interview on time, so I believe you, Pat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can thank uh, Google for that. I Actually, had no idea the interview was today, and then I got a reminder on my phone that it starts <laughs> in 30 minutes. I'm like, oh. So yeah, because my memory is terrible.
0: Oh, yeah. Perfect. Now, actually kind of an interesting thing, I'm, I'm on the Kickstarter page, I'm seeing a couple of different um, pictures of you with a couple of different guitars, I'm noticing some similarities between at least the two that I see and some differences. Um, are you a maple fretboard kind of guy?
1: Definitely. I have evolved from, I guess, ebony, I used to love ebony boards, and now I'm, a, I'm kind of really like set on maple, I always, I always end up loving the maple fretboard over everything else, so, so yeah, I, I guess I'm a maple guy.
0: The maple guy. I'm, I'm curious, what does it do? What's the difference between an ebony fretboard and a maple fretboard? what What's the difference?
1: Um, so, tonality wise, maple has definitely got a little more upper mid range and highs. Cuts through the mix a lot better. The guitars tend to be very, I don't know how to describe it, snappy and piercing in a way. Um, the tone just comes through a, lo- a lot more clear. Um, where maple, uh, where ebony, is a little more on the smooth side uh it's not as sharp in the tones like if you pictured like an eq i think the ebony like in the in the mid to highs would be a little bit more subdued maybe there'd be a little more bass response in ebony Uh maple just like cuts through everything like a knife that's why i love it yeah. and it feels nice too
0: yeah uh, uh-huh. yeah is there because ebony you don't have to maintain at all correct
1: um, I've always maintained all my fretboards the same way. When I strange, change strings, I, I clean them because my, my sweat is very corrosive and I play the guitars so much that they're like, I just get grime all over everything. So I'm not sure you might be right about that. Um, but I lemon oil my boards regardless. Every time I change strings, I clean it.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause I'd heard with maple, there's like a, a sealant on it and you have to either maintain that or just know that eventually the sealant's going to come off something like that.
1: Hmm. Well, there's definitely some guitars that have lacquered maple, okay. like a shiny coat, which I don't like because it's kind of sticky. Um, my my fingers don't like that. Um, ebony is just like just a hard, super hard wood. The only thing that really happens with that is sometimes it could crack because it's very brittle. Mm. But uh, yeah, maple's super solid. There's not a lot of uh, grooves or pores like you'll see in rosewood or or even ebony.
0: Yeah, cool. And then there's one guitar. It looks like a fishman. Pick up.
1: that's probably my uh blue prestige right the blue ocean frozen ocean correct that's an awesome guitar
0: i bet take us through that guitar is that japanese made
1: japanese made uh it's an rg 5000 series prestige forget the exact model uh i it's actually more i don't like it too much for recording it sounds great for live for whatever reason it just has a great tone when you're playing in a live setting but recording not my favorite I didn't use it for anything on the on the actual CD. But I still love the guitar. It feels and sounds great. Just every guitar I have has a purpose and it fits in certain places and some don't fit in other places. But it's beautiful to look at. That was with the allure to that one. It's just it's so freaking gorgeous.
0: Mhm. I'm looking at I'm zooming in on it right now. I'm like, "Oh yeah."
1: Yeah, Frozen Ocean Blue. It's the name of that color. So nice.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And then there's the other one which I don't even know what brand it is but it's the purple one and there's passive pickups of some kind.
1: I believe that's also uh, Prestige. I sold that one not too long ago but I played most of the album on that on that guitar. Okay. I just got I guess I just kind of uh, I don't like to say I got bored of it. I love the guitar. It's just I wanted something different and I needed obviously to sell something to get something new so I chose to sell that.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and they both have double locking Floyds.
1: Yeah, that's my. That's how I roll. Most of most of my guitars have those. I have some that don't, um, but I use those. It's just if I need to record something and I want to tune differently, I don't like to have a bunch of Floyds because you have to put a lot of effort into changing the setups and the tunings and all that. It's just a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember yes, those sir. days. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> Back but of, it's worth
0: it. Yeah. Back in the 2000s, when Corn was not using a tremolo bar at all, but they were rocking RGs, uh-huh. uh, I think eventually their custom ones still had a Floyd Rose, but absolutely no tremolo bar because they they never used it. Really, uh,
1: that's kind of weird.
0: Yeah, Cause I, I mean, remember
1: that RG. It was pretty cool. I think it had like a neon, did it neon uh, per, uh, green on it or something. Maybe. Or am I thinking of the Vi model? I don't know, but I remember the Corn one.
0: Yeah, and then they have some even more updated ones now that I think have ever bridges in them because they realized that really it was just the locking tuning part. They didn't want to be out of tune that much.
1: Right. Yeah. The the ever bridges, I've heard so much about them. I never spent a lot of time with one. I played them and I guess they're set a different way, but like I was trying to bend on one and I'm noticing like the, the pitch isn't changing. I'm trying to bend it. I'm like, it's still in tune. Like this is bugging me out. Yeah. And somebody's like you could change that you could change that oh I'm like okay well that's cool because if i couldn't i'd be like i would never want a version like this because i do a lot of bends so
0: yeah it's
1: fucking me out man yes yeah, they're expensive i hate they're very expensive though
0: that too it's it's expen- some kind of expensive voodoo
1: yeah man but it's cool a lot of people use them i guess if you're sticking to one tuning it's probably a really solid uh, choice to go with
0: Mm-hmm. that's what i've heard um mm-hmm. Cause as soon as I heard that you could like exactly as you said, bend a string and the note doesn't change. I was like, that's voodoo. I don't want, I don't want to be part of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's so weird, man. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, I've chatted with a lot of people who swear by them, especially in the studio. Um, wow. Cause they stay in tune uh, really well. I guess uh, you mentioned, you know, kind of having like a recording guitar. What are you looking for then in a recording guitar? Aside from I guess, tuning stability or intonation stability.
1: Um, I guess uh, tone tone. I prefer passive pickups. I just find that um, recording with really in any situation, they just have a warmer and a more pronounced personality to them. That guitar, the purple one, just sounded great for rhythms because it had a mahogany body, so it was like kind of a heavy, deep, bassy underlying tone. And then, like when you chugged on it, you just it kind of felt it uh and yeah and also it's it's accessibility like what do i have at the time and that was my my best one at the time that was my favorite guitar and i played it a lot had it for years so sometimes i just grab what's next to me and it ends up being what sticks in my head when i record and like that becomes the sound that i want to maintain
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. you mentioned it was the guitar you had at the time now you've given birth you have a whole bunch behind you
1: oh yeah man so, I work at Guitar Center now, and now that I get these crazy discounts, like, I kind of went just AWOL and started selling and buying and selling and buying. <laughs> so, I have uh, some really beautiful Ibanez's back there. There's, uh, that, they came out with an RG 565 reissue, which was, like, I guess from the 90s or the 80s. It's, it's this deep orange one back there. And, uh, yeah, it's freaking awesome, man. And it was relatively cheap for a guitar coming from Japan. I think it's retails for like a thousand bucks, but it feels like a prestige, which usually could be like fifteen to 1600
0: hundred. Mm-hmm. I'm looking it up right now. Ibanez, it? Yeah, Ibanez.com RG five sixty five, definitely I don't know what you want to call that, vintage for a guitar, yeah. I guess. Yeah. That's cool. Pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I dig the uh I've always been a fan. Of the bridge humbucker and the neck single coil that's kind of always been one of my big fans i wish more guitars were like that
1: i agree and ever since getting that one that's what I'm, I'm kind of looking for that now um because just having that single coil so close to the neck it just adds like this really in this really distinct tone in that position this guitar i think it's actually a single coil humbucker um if i remember correctly mm-hmm. but it's got five five positions, so you can still get a single coil of sound. It's freaking awesome. The only thing I don't like about it, and I understand they were trying to maintain the, uh, the old design, is that the heel, it's hard to access the 24th fret because the, the back where the screws go into the neck are kind of really chunky, where the new ones are super smooth and low profile. So I had to really adapt a little differently to try to play up high on certain things, but... I don't care. It's worth it, man. The guitar is so cool.
0: Yeah. As you were saying that, I was looking on the pictures on the website, and I looked at the back of the heel, and in my head, I went, oh, my God, that's an old school heel. And you said, there's one thing <laughs> about the guitar I don't like. And I was like, the heel? And he's going to say yeah, the heel, isn't he?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, it's uh, whatever. It's, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's true to the old design, and uh, the guitar is super cool, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Groovy baby, and I see a Charvel box back there. Is that what that is? Is a Charvel box?
1: Yeah, I'm actually trying to sell that guitar. It's a Charvel DK24 red ash. Um, I was trying to find a Fender Strat substitute that you know that was not a Fender Strat. I love Charvel, so I ended up getting this, and it doesn't. You know, when you first get something, you're like, "Oh, this is amazing!" And then I spent some, I spent like a few months with it, and I'm like, "It's not really what I wanted it to be." So, trying to get rid of it to fund probably a Fender Strat, which I. Ironically, had and sold. I don't know. You know. I don't know. The gear. The gear addiction is real, man. It's like you're gone, constantly recycling. I got a bunch of new amps now. I was. I used to use the Axe Effects, which I used on the recording for the album. Now I have uh, a Bogner Atma and an EVH um, Stealth Head, which is going to be my new tools moving forward in anything else that I do.
0: Why is that? Take us through that.
1: Um, <clears throat> so there really is a different feel. And a different tone associated with tube amps. That any, you know, I'm not a purist or anything like that. I still have my Axe effects and I use it for certain things, and it's got its purposes. But um, when you record with a with a cabinet and a head versus going direct digital, there there's some things that as as a player you start you feel and you, and you definitely there's some differences. It's Hardly more saturation. There's a smoothness to it and a warmth to it. Um, so I've upgraded a lot of everything to try to get kind of more of an analog tone going because I am recording everything from my from my home. And even though the album sounds great, now that I have access to all this gear, working at GC, I'm plugging into tube amps, and I'm like, oh my god, this this the E V H sounds freaking incredible! Like I gotta have it. I gotta record with it. And uh, <laughs> I have one song that's that's done. It's waiting to be mixed. That I did everything on the EVH um, and a new and a new Schecter bass that I bought, which is also awesome. And then, it just sounds—it just is a, a difference. And like like I can tell listeners probably can't tell, I probably can't tell if I'm listening to somebody else's song if they recorded on a two amp or not. And that's why it's really you know the Axe FX is great, but there's something that I know is there, which I guess keeps me uh, satisfied in that way. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Back
1: and forth, yeah. It's it's it, there's always the back and forth battle. Between guy, you know, gearheads, guitar players, versus digital versus analog tube, like which one's better? Like the truth be told, is like they all have their purpose. One's not better than the other one. I'll never say that tube is better than digital because I, I love them both. I guess it's just a stage in my in my life that I'm starting to go back towards <laughs> tube. So that's really all it is, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, funny story is I was watching a video where uh, Devin Townsend was mixing. One of his most recent uh, records, right? And he went down to the Armory in Vancouver, which is a legendary studio space. Everyone from ACDC dc to Nickelback has recorded there. Mm-hmm. And he just lined up every single amp and cab and microphone they had, which is a lot, and wow. recorded everything and reamped and did the whole bit and came back home with you know his real fifty-one fifty, his real Mesa Boogie, whatever, his real everything. And he said that at the end of the day, when he was mixing, he couldn't get any of it to fit, so he reamped it through his Axe
1: Effects. (laughs) That's amazing, and I believe it. I totally believe you have so much control over your tone with the with the Fractal, and there's other stuff that you know. I know the Kemper's are good. There's a lot of stuff out there, but there's just so much going on in the Axe Effects that you can make it fit. You know, if especially with reamping, like if you have your your dry. DI signal, the Axe Effects can pretty much do whatever you need it to do. You
0: know, yeah. you really can. Exactly. Now cool. You, you got the EVH there. You got the Bogner. Um, one of my favorite ones, actually, that just sounds like sex when you're playing through it. You don't even need an overdrive pedal in front of it. Is the uh, the EVH one that they uh, the EL thirty four version?
1: That one I, I have not played out of. That one is it a white Tolex? Is that the white one? It's, or Or they make a black one? Is it gold?
0: I think it's gold.
1: Okay, yes, I've seen that one. Yeah, there's definitely a difference from 6L6 to the EL34. I love them both. Um, this thing is super... Dude, I I don't even put the game past, like, like 6 o'clock, um, and it's just so much game. Like, it's just... I And I prefer, actually, the crunch channel. The cool thing about the Stealth is it's literally three amps inside of there, so every channel is a different circuitry, which is supposed to have, a, like, a different tone completely, so it's not just, like, clean distortion and more distortion it's clean <laughs> which is supposed to be a fender clean right and then like a crunch distortion uh and then like the crazy balls to the wall evh one that is just like sounds like evh like super saturated and brown sound type of thing mm-hmm. so yeah and for the for the money i think it's the best head out there honestly
0: yeah they managed to do something um <laughs> take over take over the market and whether you're using uh a PV blockhead or their 6505 reissue or you're onto the Fender stuff. I mean, it's, it's all over every record in almost all genres now.
1: Yeah. I don't know. The EVH name just managed to just completely control the market when it comes to high gain amps. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sweet. So we've talked about Kickstarter, Ibanez, RG565s, Maple Fretboards. Um, initially we were starting to talk about Bogner's and then we moved into EVH's. Now, um, I know this happens a lot, for example, in Metalcore. They'll do a 5150 for kind of like the low-mid rumble, and then they'll bring in a Bogner for some of the more uh, higher-end mid-range and blend the two. Is that kind of what you're doing there?
1: Interesting you say that. Actually, that's what I did with the Fractal on the recording. I used the 5150 kind of as a bass underneath in the mix, which you can't really hear, but you can feel it. And then I used an uh, an Angle Savage Mm. um, amp sim for the, the cut. You know, for the yeah. for the pick attack and for the mid range, um, the reason I got the Bogner is because. So I'm a huge Evergray fan, and I know they're they they mainly use Bogners. I um so I was like, got to kind of got obsessed with the the this little Bogner. It's an Atma, It's a smaller one. It's like 18 watts. I don't need anything crazy. It's in my you know it's in my home studio, and it just has this cream, this super creamy. Lead guitar sound, you know, and I have a TS And I have been as many tube screamer that I got just to if I want to use it for rhythms. So I don't know if I would use it for blending. I'd probably use it more for leads, or there's something more bassy about the Bogner versus the EBH. So I can see the Bogner actually sitting better on the on the floor, the EBH being more the middle one, okay. ironically.
0: Okay. Yep. Beautiful. I did not know they used Bogner. I just assumed because they're. uh, from Europe. They probably used Engl or something like that.
1: Right. So, now they've been using Bogner for a long time and apparently they have custom-made Bogners that are made for them because I was I messaged Tom on Instagram like what, you know, what are you using any overdrives in front of your amps on the recordings because their their rhythm sounds super tight and crystal clear. And typically like the Boggers I've heard don't sound that way. They sound more chunky and fat. Yeah. So he's like, "Well, you know, ours are custom made." I'm like, "Okay, well, that explains <laughs> it." So, so basically, you can't get that sound because those are your amps and nobody else has them. <laughs>
0: yep. Exactly. Yeah, their last yeah. album sounds great, and I just assumed it was Jacob Hansen doing some reamping magic.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm sure it is. Uh, that guy's <laughs> such an amazing engineer. I'm hoping he's supposed to be mixing the song that I have, um, the single that I have coming, and actually have Tom singing on it. But he's so busy that I have to wait a long time to get it to happen. So, but it's fine. I'll wait. If I have to wait to get Jason's magic, Jacob's magic, then I'll wait.
0: Yeah. Okay. That leads us into a rabbit hole. And I don't know if we have time for this rabbit hole. We're going to try and make it happen, (laughs) Pat. Okay. Uh, Is that why you wanted Jacob to work on it was because of his work in general, or just his work with, uh,
1: I figured since, since I got Tom to do guest vocals, I know Jacob works amazing with his voice. Yeah, The song is very, it's got a very similar vibe and feel to an Evergreen, to a modern Evergreen song. So I'm like, if anyone can make it sing and, and, and be, you know, the best it can be, I know it's Jacob. So that's why I definitely, you know, I'm, I'll wait it out for him. Like I can try to mix it myself and stuff and it'll probably come out sounding like a, a a decent, you know, and, uh, what's, I don't know what words to use. Like, I can mix it. It'll sound okay, good enough for release, but it's not going to sound, obviously, like what Jaden JP, JP can do. So
0: mm-hmm. I'll wait it out. Yeah. Yeah, that last time was incredible. I was listening to it, and it doesn't sound like there's a lot of vocal tracks in there, but it still cuts through. It's sitting exactly where it needs to sit.
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell when it comes to his stuff. This Everything is so finely tuned. Like, it sounds... Simple, but not. It's very complex. The mixes, but there's crystal clear. Nothing is uh, drowning anything else out. There's no conflicts and frequency Everything is just perfect. You know, so it's amazing.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Okay, all right. So we chatted about Kickstarter, Ibanez RGs, Maple fretboards, EVH and Bogner amps. Now we've talked about Jacob Hansen. Last time around, I know we chatted about superior drummer and Axle effects, which we we touched a bit on here. We even chatted Mm -hmm. about Ernie Ball strings because at the time you had just a bajillion packages of Ernie Ball strings everywhere. I
1: still got them. I just moved them. I'm trying to (laughs) rearrange my space here.
0: (laughs) Are you? It looks like just regular old Slinkies down there. But do you use the Paradigm set at all?
1: I don't. So I don't know. I don't. I know there's differences with strings, but for the amount of guitar that I play, I don't think any set of strings is going to last longer for me because my my fingers just corrode the strings quickly, or you know, this dead skin, all that nasty stuff. I got to clean my strings on every every use, and also like I, I don't need to spend double for a set of strings. I have the Ernie ball endorsement. The strings are whatever they are. They're cheap. I, I have been using these for 20 years. Or more, more, like, why do I need to change strings? Like, I like the sound that I have. I don't need to... I have enough problems searching tones with amps and guitars. I don't need to get into string tone chasing. What's the point, dude? Like, (laughs) it's just too much, man. You got to cut it off somewhere.
0: That's right. True story. Uh, I went to the guitar store to get some a set of strings. They didn't have what I wanted. And then there was... It's kind of funny. I always go for, like, an Ernie Ball something, and then I walk out with D'Addario, because sometimes D'Addario is just kind of always there. Yeah. and um so i tried like okay i'll try these nyxls they cost more but whatever i'll try them they're available they, they're in the gauge i want blah 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 put yeah. it on distinctly brighter than just like the regular xls for sure but then i ended up finding that i just turned down the treble on my amp so i'm like okay so either way we're ending up at the same spot
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you're paying more money for it and did they last longer uh
0: i don't know i just changed them a week or so ago i mean, they. They definitely sound brighter, I'll tell you that much. Um, But are they going to last longer? I'm waiting to see.
1: Again, yeah. So I mean, although those aren't they're not stainless steel strings, are they? No, they're
0: They're probably
1: nickel. Yeah,
0: they're they're nickel plated, but they got a carbon core or something like Ernie Ball. I did too much research in this recently. Ernie Ball uses a tin core with uh, nickel plating. Okay. Um, uh, But yeah, so. The the metal compound is a little bit different, so they're not as bright as stainless steel, but they're approaching as bright as stainless steel.
1: Yeah, I think stainless steel is a big mistake anyway because they kill your. If your frets are not stainless steel, you're going to destroy your frets way faster. Because mm. you just you know stainless steel on nickel, you're you're, you're just asking for your guitar to die. You're refret jobs, and I don't know what's the benefit of like you said. If you want a brighter, just turn it up like a hair, like your 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 presence or your travel light. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a it's a lot of it comes down to marketing, man. They just want to sell more strings, which is cool. But you know, you should see you know you've seen it at my job. There there is just strings upon strings, and every brand has like seven different series of strings. Like, <laughs> it, it's totally unnecessary. Like if you whatever, so they're making money. Good for them. Like they're great company.
0: Exactly. All right. Cool. Well, Pat, thank you again for coming on to the show today.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me again. Good to see you again.